Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the TKW Podcast. We have the trio back together once again. It's been a minute, but I am Anthony Corbo, and I'm joined here today by Kyle Maggio. I'm just so happy to be back on this podcast. Uh, It's comforting. It's comforting. Go follow him at Kyle Maggio. Also joining us today, we've got, as always, Brian Giberman. Terrible day. Kyle's back on the podcast. It's a sad day for us all. (laughs) You can follow Brian at Brian Giberman. I, uh, you can follow me at Anthony Corbo. You can follow the Knicks wall at the Knicks wall on Twitter, TKW podcast there. Please subscribe to us on our YouTube channel on whatever podcast platform you're choosing. Uh, you know, hit us with the five stars, hit us with that review. Give us a subscription. Uh, we love you even more for it. And finally head to the Knicks We'll be talking to, uh, Tyler Marco later on today. Uh, about his piece about the Knicks potentially looking to, or what the Knicks, maybe just party with Frank Nielakina would be the best move for both sides. Uh, we're also going to talk to Mike Cortez later on in the program, uh, just to keep everyone updated on the NCAA tournament. But before we get to all of that, uh, the Knicks lost the game this afternoon, a game that kind of snuck up on me. I, these Sunday afternoon games always do that, but 124 to 113. Uh, it was pretty competitive through, I mean, it was in spurts, but the game stayed pretty competitive up until about the fourth quarter. Uh, so it, it was, it was exciting to watch for once. The garden crowd seemed to be into it. Uh, I don't know. What were your guys' takeaways from today's game? Um, I know Brian's going to disagree with me considerably. So I wanted to nip this in the butt at the beginning of the podcast. Um, I saw a lot of, angry DeAndre Jordan stuff today. And uh, I thought, while normally I would agree with you guys, I thought just today was not the game. <laughs> I thought um, even if the team as a whole, I know I, he's going to bring up the plus minus. I feel it in my bones. But, you know, even if he wasn't contesting every defensive shot, I just thought he was doing enough positively to justify being in the game this long. And I understand the Mitchell Robinson stuff. I'm not saying I necessarily agree. I'm just saying I don't think this is the day to slam uh, DeAndre. I saw a lot of angry stuff today about it, but um, I thought he yeah. was—I thought he was pretty. Dead. He had a, a lot of energy in that first half. Yeah, um, early especially. on, I mean, they were running the ball through him a lot too. That was. Yeah, you know. I, I mean, he was—he was moving the ball really well too. It wasn't like things were sticking. So I understand that the defense isn't where you want it to be all the time. Despite you know he had a couple of blocks, but I thought he was doing enough across the board today to offset that and sort of justify um, Fizdale letting him play those precious minutes over Mitchell Robinson, who we all love dearly and we'll, we'll get to him. But um, aside from him, Dotson is just, I'd like to spend some time on Dotson on this pod because he's just very, very impressive with his consistency and what he does with really never dribbling the ball. Um, He's either in transition going for a layup or he's just, he kind of reminds me of like that old, you know, Ray Allen, Rip Hamilton, you know, never stops moving without the ball. You know, every time he seems to pop up and catch it, he's coming off a screen and just catching and shooting. It's just very smart basketball uh, that he's been playing. And uh, 
I'm not going to say anything about Moody's defensive effort tonight, which was not good. But again, I think offensively, you know, just his scoring was a plus tonight. Um, you know, 26, six and seven, he was actually pretty good offensively at least. So Kadeem was fun. He had a nice little run towards the end of that game to keep the Knicks in it. Despite them, uh, really certain, you know, they, they just kind of got outclassed by the Clippers down the stretch. Um, well, and that's basically it for me. I yeah. Think. Let's, let's, let's root back onto, uh, Deandre Jordan because he, he really did look solid in the, in this game today. He looked pretty confident. I mean, you can't really, you know, he ends up being by far like the worst on the team with the minus 19, but you know, the 20 points, the 13 rebounds are good in and of themselves. I just thought that, you know, he was what the Knicks got off to a really bad start today. They were down like eight, nothing. I think at the very beginning of it. And it was really him and Dot, like you were saying, Dotson's like shooting, picking up. He missed his first couple of shots and got it going. Uh, just him burying the ball a couple of times really started to build them out. And then uh, honestly, honestly, got it early on. It was Hazonia too and DeAndre Jordan finding a good uh, passing connection, just kind of knowing where each other were going to be. And that kind of got the Knicks back into it early. And then, you know, there's a couple of other things that happened down the stretch, but uh, you know, that's what we were looking at early. Uh, Brian, did you have any thoughts from, you know, earlier on in the game? Do you have anything about, like, Dodd, what you saw from him out there? What what really made him get the offense going? Well, he, let me go here. Here's a, a general thought on DeAndre Jordan kind of responding to what Kyle said. Don't you – he's kind of what people thought Enos Cantor was except his offense is actually more impactful and valuable. Like he is a good, he's still a good offensive player and he has value on that end. Now I don't think it cancels out the stuff on the other end because just what he stylistically does on defense, you have to have guards that are really elite at containing dribble penetration to be able to let him sink back like he does. Now, maybe a certain if you wanted to try that with a certain point guard that got hurt tonight and give him a chance and maybe how he controls the opponent's lead ball handler, then how Jordan sinks back so much and doesn't contest, maybe that works a little bit better. But since uh, the bald guy with glasses refuses to ever try anything else besides just throwing Moutier out there and going Moutier, 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 we don't ever get to find things like this out or learn anything. Now here's he all that I've, I've just I've watched Emmanuel Moody. I played too much, and it's stupid. When this there's there's ten they're fourteen and sixty, we should be evaluating different things and learning about stuff. Like what what are what are we doing here? Well, what, here's the thing. I agree. I agree with you generally on on just exactly everything you just said. That topic, I really do. Moutier started this game looking real, real bad. I mean, he was just, and it, you still see it in his, in his passing throughout the game too, where he's just, you know, he'll dribble himself into a corner and then he'll be able to pull something off and really like kind of hit a wild shot at some point or a long two or, you know, one of his signature like up and under layups. But, uh, you know, his passing, he'll just like dribble it to somewhere and then throw it into, you know, just hope to God it doesn't get picked off before it makes it to the top of the key again. Uh, but that being said, like, he really like I couldn't find when he did take the shots the 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 big shots throughout the game that especially when the game was tied a couple of times he was able to make them and I just I today 
I know that the the time is valuable, especially now that we're under ten games left in the season. But you had Frank get hurt again. You know, you had Kadeem Allen in big foul trouble early on in the game. We had three fouls like in the first quarter, I think. Um, you know, it was. I, I'm not mad about Moutier playing and you know getting a lot of minutes in a game like this today. Yeah, I don't have a I don't have a problem with him playing today. And it's the same thing like Jordan, the Jordan Mitchell Robinson. Oh well, today he was playing the Clippers. I see. It, it's bigger than today. Like the yep. last ten games since since the Suns game when Jordan came back from injury, he's playing twenty six minutes a night. Mitchell Robinson is playing twenty minutes a night. Moutier is playing twenty nine minutes. When Trier's been around, he's only playing twenty four. Lance Thomas is averaging sixteen point three minutes and has played in every single game in the last ten. Luke Cornett has only played in five games, and in those games, he's averaging 10.2 minutes. Like, this is the shit that Kurt Rambis was doing at the end of the season when he was coaching until Melo and Robin Lopez went to him and went, look, you're being an idiot, and start playing different players because the season's over and there's no reason for us to be out there. Like, we're focusing on a bunch of people. Now, there's injury stuff, and some of this is inevitable since, like, Dennis Smith got hurt, Trier got hurt. So, like, I, I get it to an extent. But why, why is DeAndre Jordan playing over Luke Cornett right now? Like, what, what purpose does that serve for the future of your basketball team? Why, why is Lance Thomas playing over? Say, okay, you can't play. You want to keep playing Jordan. Why, why wouldn't you go back to playing Mitchell Robinson and Luke Cornett together a little bit and just letting someone go? Well, what, are we, what is Lance Thomas? What are we doing? So, so I'm, I'm going to... I don't know how much I actually believe in the following that I'm going to say, but I'm going to sort of play devil's advocate because I want to present um, the theory to you guys. And it's going to break. It's one part what Brian said uh, pretty much the last time I was on the pod. And it's one part, something that I read um, about, and I know I'll get slammed for it, but the nets. Um, So there was something about the nets that I I read. uh, Somebody either put it on Twitter or it was from an article. I, if anybody remembers this, let me know what it is. But basically alluding to, you know, them doing right by some players with some uh, 10-day contracts that turned into guarantees for the rest of the year or something. And basically, like, it was like the start of the Nets wanted to, like, you know, do things for just player benefit so it would look good to other people. You know, free agents and whatnot. So I'm going to tie that into what Brian said about Fisdale maybe being a suit, like a, a stars coach versus like an X's and O's guy. And I don't know, maybe, maybe this is their way of trying to seem, you know, more player friendly. Maybe this is their way. Maybe this is why we, there's the insistence on Moutier and there's the insistence on, you know, letting DeAndre get his burn uh, at the end of the year. Maybe there's something to that. You know, I I don't also, I I don't know how much I believe in it. Kadeem Allen and Lance. So I get that to an extent. And that that's actually the best and most reasonable excuse from Fisdale's perspective. That doesn't just make him look like a complete dolt. Like that's actually some reasoning. And, and I can understand that. The, the reason but, I bring that real well, quick, well, sorry. Well, well, did, yeah, go ahead. Lance, Lance Thomas and Kadeem Allen went into the game before Frank today. Yeah. Well, I, come on. Come on, uh, man. Well, 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 in fairness, I, I, Kadeem, I think, has at least earn that a little bit, but the, the Lance thing I'll give you, I, I'll at least, I understand what you're saying. Um, it's just uh, well, the, the, the thing I was going to say too, about the reason I brought up 
that point about Fizdale with the, you know, maybe doing this all as a show for like the players is just his comments sometimes seem to be a little extravagant. And I just think that's his like way of cluing us into like what he's thinking. And I, again, I don't know how much I believe it. I'm just presenting the option. Like today he made a big deal. Like, yeah, you know, you know, we had to do it for Deandre, you know, basically all, all our guys were in for him, you know, and it just seemed like it was just a little much to be, you know, pushing it that forward. It seemed like you know, he's really though. telling the story. We know he's a culture coach. Like that's pretty much. I mean, that's what he said all season. That's what he's preached is that you know he's a guy who's, who's trying to establish and build a culture in New York. That's been the you know language that's been thrown around a lot. But you know, another part of it is that we're talking about guys here who are all on. I think it ties into the player friendly thing too. We're talking about guys at this point who are all expiring at the end of the season. They, you know, their contracts run. You know, only up until July 1st or whatever options or anything. You know, Lance Thomas is probably going to be gone with his one million guarantee for next year. Uh, it's you know, I definitely could also see this being kind of a, you know, like you're saying, kind of similar to like what the Nets have been doing too, where it's just these guys are here, they're aware of what's going on from here. I'm sure Fizdale has talked to a lot of the veteran players to let them know, you know that they're just going to showcase them for the time being. They don't have any promises I can make to them, you know, beyond this point, but Fisdale and the whole culture movement with this team, I, it totally strikes me as him saying, you know, I don't know if you'll be back next year, but we'll play you for, you know, what you have now. So that way you can sign somewhere else. They've given Moody more than enough time and a chance. He started 38 games this year, 52 games, the past two seasons. In, and like in March, he's shooting 40. Per, this is, this is how bad he is. Like it's in, he's shooting forty percent from three and ninety percent from the line in March, and he's only averaging thirteen point two points on eleven point five shots. Do you know how hard it is to have those percentages and be scoring that little amount of points on that amount of shots? I I, I know I, I feel like look I I feel like he gets a lot of grief. Um, a lot of it rightfully, but I think sometimes it's a little bit much too. Like, I think he is like, just judging by his, you know, his total body of work this season offensively, like he did take a pretty drastic step forward in his efficiency. Like it's not, I don't think it makes him good enough to be like a starting caliber player or a very good player. I'm just saying, I think, you know, he, he is actually a a passable NBA player now and he does do some good things. I just don't, I just think back to your point, it's not enough for me to invest in it, you know, like what you said about, you know, he's gotten enough time. I think that's true. I think wherever he goes next, and I I hope it's not here, but wherever he goes next, I think they know what he is now, you know, a more, he's just a rotational piece. I think he's just a seventh, eighth man off the bench, you know, but I I don't think he needs more time now. You know, this this should have been more time for Frank and whatnot. Do we, on on average, how many like offensive, just strictly offensive possessions do we think the Knicks have a game get per game? Like just the Knicks, what do you think would be a reasonable amount? I'm like real they, bad they at they estimating took, this kind of thing. They uh, took, like, so today, today they took 86 shots, okay. but they had 13 offensive rebounds and 14 turnovers. So like right around probably. 85, 86. I would say that's that's probably a fair barometer of today's game. Okay. So even with, within that, yes, Moutier had 26 points, but he also had nine missed shots 
and three turnovers. That's 12 possessions gone. So you're talking about like an eighth of your possessions that you lose when he has the ball in his hand that come with a negative outcome. And that's to get 26 points on 19 shots and his assists were higher. And like, this is a, this was a high end game for him. You're not getting this regularly. Like that, like that, like the nuggets game, he had how many, like he had, he had 21 points, but he also had, and like that, that game was the best example of my problem with him. Like, yeah, he had the numbers, but if you went back and watched and like how that game kind of functioned and played out, like whenever the nuggets were kind of like spacing out and getting a lead, it was almost directly related to how Moutier was functioning in the game. So like in this game, he scored 21 points, but he had 12, 12 missed shots and three turnovers. That's 15 possessions ending because of him with nothing good coming out of it, either a missed shot or a turnover. Like, and that's what's pretty much happening every single time the ball is in his hands a lot. And he's not generating enough positivity on those other possessions to balance it out or make it worth it. And that that's an issue that you, that's why I don't even think he's really a rotation player still. I don't think you can really function in a positive manner with him having the ball in his hands as much as he does and all the negative stuff that comes with it. I don't, I don't think there's an even balance with it. Did you see what his, uh, his plus minus from today's game was? It was exactly zero. It's just like, you know, I, I know that's not the, the true barometer to go by, but it's a game where he scores 26 points and seven assists and only three turnovers. And he still musters only a zero in that category. You know, it's like, it's his, and you're right with everything you're saying. I think that's the biggest tell against him is, is just how many possessions he has ever, you know, every player is going to miss shots and you know, his percentages haven't been, awful lately but you know even to have such a such a mixed impact from time to time and just how many you know plays he could end up giving up in the end on that end up ending because of him is is a telling issue one of the uh you know one of the players that we're always fascinated with on the podcast is going to be is of course kevin knox um but he suffered an injury today on a play that uh looked like it was kind of annoying that play and seeing it not get called like that. Cause that's the exact thing that Mitchell Robinson got called on over and over and over again, early in the season when, you know, he would step into the shooter space on a three point shot, you know, Knox put the shot up and Lou Williams stepped right in between his legs. Uh, and it, you know, Knox ended up turning his, his ankle didn't return. Do we have any further, uh, anything further about that? Um, they think it's not as severe as they thought it was when he was really limping off into the yeah, locker room. He, it looked like uh, it I gone. believe they, they said, I think it's day to day. I think Fizdale said, okay. So it, it's more of a, just a bad twist. If anything, it doesn't look like a, a sprain or anything worse than that. So we lose so, him, but is, is, I mean, he kind of had another slow start to the game, but really was heating up around when, uh, you know, around when the injury took place. I mean, is, is there anything that we, gleaned from Kevin Knox today? Uh, I, not, I don't know. Not, not really. I mean, he more of the same. Shot, yeah, I mean, he shot the ball. All right. You know, um, just, it, just a very 
okay normal game but like this is exactly you know the issue that we're talking about at the top of the show the the issue with Fizdale playing his his you know his veteran players overplaying them maybe not giving enough minutes to the other guys you know you're seeing these durability issues we're going to talk about Frank in a minute too but you know Neil Kina gets hurt today again after missing you know so much time since the beginning of January you have Knox get injured here it's you know I I just you know, I wonder if he if his mentality here is that he has to play so many of these vets anyway that he's just gonna you know showcase them all and you know give them their send off or whatever it may be. This, I mean, this has been Knox's best month since what was it December or November, whenever he won the award for rookie of the month. Uh, he's shooting his splits are 42, 47, 78. He's had more points than shots and like four, one, two, three, I think four of the last five or five out of the last six games. Uh, I, I want it again, back to, I get links back to the playing time thing, but I like when he's running two man game with Mitchell Robinson and we don't get to see that nearly enough because of how the rotation is staggered. They don't really play all that much together, but that's something we've seen Knox have, success with at times this year and yet you'd it'd be good and important for them to continue to get that chemistry and learning and getting a feel for each other but uh yeah this uh, you needed it's good to even though a lot of it's just basically him hitting a bunch of above the break threes the it's good to see that he's capable of having stretches where he shoots like this. And now we've had two significant ones of these this season. And now maybe going, hopefully as soon as next year, the there's hope that there is a 38, 39, 40% three point shooter in that body. And if there, if there is that he becomes, that's where you start to see him potentially get to hit somewhere near or close to his ceiling. Yeah, I mean he he takes he takes exactly the right shots. You know, I think that's what I'm most encouraged about. Like he takes all the shots you'd want, like a modern, you know, small ball four type like he is to take. He's taking threes, he's catching and shooting, he's normally, you know, not dribbling a lot or uh pulling up from, you know, deep. Or he's getting right to the rim. You know, he's still struggling, you know, going left and finishing there uh, if it's not a floater, but those that's exactly, you know, that's like Mori ball one oh one. Just get right to the into the paint, get right to the rim, or just shoot the three. And I think that's very encouraging. So yeah, I, now seeing a second month of this, because you know, once we hit twenty nineteen, it was pretty rough there for a while. But you know, having two big months isn't nothing, you know, and for the kind of player that he projects to be, it is encouraging. And with, for me, I'm just again encouraged by the shots. It's not like these are He's struggling because he's taking dumb shots. He's taking the smart shots. They're just not going in. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know, his, his confidence coming back, you know, he's looking for his shot a little bit more. He just, he looks a little bit less passive out there, a little bit more active. Uh, that's really, that's really exciting to see. And like, like there was just one play in particular I noticed earlier today before he got injured where, you know, he just passed the ball off, got the cut, you know, went inside or I no, you know, he got the ball. I forgot exactly where it was, but, you know, he just drove in and he didn't make it to the rim quite like we like him to. He didn't quite get up there and take any contact or anything, but, you know, hooked it up and, you know, made the shot. But it's just, 
I like seeing him looking for opportunities like that again. It just feels like when he's been had his struggles at this point in the year, it's largely come down to him just stopping looking for his opportunities to make an impact. We are going to touch on Frank Nielakina in a moment here. Uh, but first, I just want to remind everyone to head to the nixwall.com where you can check out our article that went up a couple of days ago from Tyler Marco. Uh, parting with Frank Nielakina might be best for both parties. Um, here to defend that point of view, we have the Nixwall's own Tyler Marco. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. How's it going for you guys? All's good over here, and it's an interesting, uh, you know, interesting time for your piece to go up a few days ago before <laughs> Frank returned, uh, mm-hmm. and then we see today he comes in. He plays a couple of minutes. He played, you know, the other day as well, but he comes in today, plays a few minutes, and he's once again re-injured, and all these yeah. question marks pop back up. But just when when you you know picture Frank Nielakina and this Knicks team, just what what is it that comes to mind for you what what are, what are your initial thoughts when you look at frank in the next fit uh i mean really it's just frustration like there's been so many just false starts it seems like you know the uh the basic point i was trying to make in the uh the piece is that in uh you know day or two before i wrote it uh berman reported that the team would be you know looking to maybe move him at the deadline if uh, he doesn't, you know, show out in the uh, the last 10 games of the season. And really my idea was just that's no way to handle your lottery pick from two years ago. And that if the team isn't going to, you know, throw their full support behind him, that it's probably best for everyone just to move on. I I just don't think they're going to use I I just don't think they believe in him very much. Um, yeah. It's what it comes down to. It it just really doesn't seem like he's a priority. Um, yeah, it it's it's quite sad. And I think I think he is the. I I don't think I've been hard on him for a while now, and I don't think he's had a very good year at all. I think he's no. been pretty mostly bad. And um, but there there are those flashes. Like even you know the, the only full game he played against the Nuggets, like. Mm-hmm. When he was out there just like running with the ball and it was just him and Mitch going up and down the court, just kind of free flow. And that's when he was at his best. Everybody mm-hmm. talks about this triangle bullshit with him. Uh, <laughs> I think he's a better transition player, but um, you see the flat. I mean, he, and even some of those botched alleys that, you know, Mitch had, I mean, there was a lot of potential assists there on top of the five that he had in that game. And it's like, there was a lot of just good ball movement in general. And what I'm trying to say is I think he needs to just play with better players to actually look yeah. good. Um, I, I think that kind of stinks because as a young player that you don't always get that opportunity, mm-hmm. but I, I think he's going to, if they put him on a good team somewhere, we always joke around about the Spurs, but you know, that's, that's basically it. Like if he went to a team like the Spurs, I think they would figure it out basically, you know, what, yeah. what they needed to do with him. I don't think they're far off. I, I really don't think he's far off from being a good player. It's just, figuring out exactly how to utilize him at this point is just strange. And I don't think that the Knicks care to figure it out anymore. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just watching uh, against the Nuggets, the team just looked better every time he was on the floor. I remember uh, I watched the day after and just hearing Mike Breen say, you know, they were down 14 at the half, but 
Frank was plus seven in those minutes. So it, it's clear that he makes a difference when he's on court. It's just unfortunate that it looks so bad in the box score whenever, you know, after every game. It's It's been a stretch now. Like, I thought he played very well in the Nuggets game. Uh, he, he missed the shots. His He picks up full court and he's cutting down the amount of time other teams have to get into their offense on a, consistent, exactly. yeah. on a consistent basis more than any other of the Knicks point guard. Like the one pass he made to Mitchell Robinson that he did miss the alley-oop. That was such a great read. And his, like what Moutier does, like Moutier doesn't anticipate passes. He, we've used the quarterback. He doesn't throw players open. No. He just hits them when they're standing wide open. Mm-hmm. Frank at time, he doesn't do it all the time, but he shows an ability to throw players open with his passes. He's a much higher IQ player than Moutier. And really the thing, the, the opportunity, we always talk about starting a culture and all that nonsense. And the thing Fisdale had a chance to establish this season was a good defense. And he's mm-hmm. chosen not to. In 477 minutes when Frank and Dotson have played together, the Knicks have a 102.6 defensive rating. That would be the best defensive rating in the entire NBA. God. When Frank and, Mitch, and Mitchell Robinson are together, that's a 106.6. That's top five, tennis, and when all three play together, it's a 98 defensive rating. That would be the best defensive rating by over six points. Yeah, so all yeah. the bullshit Fizz, um, God, I've done this, all the bullshit Fizzdale has talked about creating a culture and doing it, it's it's nonsense. Because he, he there was a culture he could have created, and he could have built this team to be a good defensive team. Instead, he made them one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA. Man, he sucks. I'm really tired. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, what was it uh, just today against the Clippers? Like how many more minutes than uh, Mitch did uh, DeAndre play? And he had a you know a good game for him, but there's just no reason to be playing DeAndre Jordan more than Mitch at this point. And just you know, real quick, going back to uh, Frank on defense, that was really just you know after buckets, he was just picking up uh, Murray at three quarters court, pointing to guys in transition, just doing all the little things you kind of notice. And, you know, uh, shout out to uh, Black Messiah on Twitter. He uh, pointed out that, uh, you know, last night the team had a 103, uh, 103.8 defensive rating with Frank on the court and 129 with him off. Like, it's just, it's obvious that he makes a huge difference on that end, end of the court. And we're not seeing it enough. So I think the, one of the big questions that is in everybody's mind that is like, like Kyle was saying earlier, the Knicks in one way or another seem like they're almost destined to move him, you know, yeah. regardless of if they get the proper return that they're looking for. You know, the the fresh start is, is something that's been mentioned in, in your piece and just, you know, throughout the conversation that we were all having every day on this. But, you know, you mentioned at the very end, like a late first round pick and you say a late first round pick for the player you took with the eighth pick two years ago isn't an efficient use of assets, but it's likely the best the team can hope for. Yeah. I mean, and even like, especially after, you know, this injury and, and missing more time, it's like, you got to cross your fingers for something like that. Maybe like, I know there was interest in him at the deadline, but you know, nothing came of that. And who knows what, like the, most teams are actually offering in exchange for him. The Knicks haven't had a good defense in a decade. Why? I don't. I don't understand why they're just giving it away. Like it, it's 
it's staring them right in the face, and they're just like, no, we don't want to do this. We want to keep being terrible at defense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's not One like... Thing, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I was really surprised by, like... No, I mean, not surprised, but there was just such a wide variety of reaction on Twitter to uh, the piece. You know, there are people like, get him the hell out of here, and then people were like, no, we need to protect him at all costs. And you see that in general, but just kind of having it all congregated where there's just the whole spectrum where there's it, everyone's divided on it. It seems like there's no consensus. It's just amazing to me how like lost of a season this has been, you know, mm-hmm. like, like beyond even things that are in his control. He's only played 42 games this season. And like whenever yeah. he has played, it's been in, it's been stretches and then he gets injured and then he, he misses more time than was anticipated for, there's just been, we've said this over and over again all year, all of last year, but there's just never been a clear-cut expectation for him to follow. There's never yeah. been a clear-cut role for him. There's never been a, you know, a period of time he can get comfortable. And it's like Brian was saying before, you know, with Mitch and Dotson, you could have, you could have the three of them with Neil Kina as well. That is a, a solid de- young defensive core you can start grooming and you know, mm-hmm. see how they develop around each other. It might just be so much that Frank needs some, you know, some other players that he can grow with defensively, that he can find a role with, that he can find you know places to fit on the court with. And it's just it's frustrating because it's he's still such a you know low cap hit and everything. You know, he's only a little you know a little bit over four million for next year, I believe. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's just like yeah, giving up on him you, for the first round pick. You know, if it's a late first round pick, you're still going to have to pay out some of that money anyway. It's not like you're getting, you know, over $4 million in cap space back. And then, yeah. and then, you know, what value are you really getting from them? Are you, are you, are they capped essentially at what Neil Aquino could be? Like, what kind of a shot are we taking here? It's, it's really a, uh, it's a confusing question to really place if this is all worth it. Um, so with this, with this new injury now, let's say that this keeps him out for the right, or I guess this re-aggravation, I should say, uh, let's say this keeps him out to the end of the year. Like, what do you think that does to his value? Do you think that could diminish it more than it is now, Tyler? I've, at this point, I really just have no idea where it could fall. I, it's almost like you can't imagine it falling lower, but the potential's still there. The potential's always been there, so. I mean, if I'm a smart team towards the end of the lottery, I'm definitely on the phone with them. Like, I know we just brought up the Spurs, but really any team down there could use a versatile uh, defender like him. Good, like we're saying, needs to play with better players, better system, better coach. And, I mean, I would give up a late first for him if I was, you know, any team with, you know, that had their shit together. I feel like there's more interest in him than the, than they're really letting on. I think people yeah, know that too. the Knicks are kind of undecided on him and don't want to play their cards quite yet. But I imagine that if he does truly become available, there's going to be, uh, you know, a, a number of, of suitors lined up, you know, going after him. Yeah, I just hope they just don't take the first offer and actually hear everyone out this time. <laughs> right, exactly. We're gonna it's gonna end up being like two seconds or something like that. You know, or a yeah. second and some other player that doesn't really make sense. It's that is really the worst case scenario here. <laughs> yeah, you know, and not to get way off topic, but you know, I'm a Giants fan or was the uh, the old Dell trade kind of shook me a little bit, and at this point, it's just like I just want what's best for Frank. <laughs> you know. I've yeah. been rooting for him since he came over, and he deserves better. 
I'd really enjoy getting to see Frank with Booker, Mike Hellbridges, and DeAndre Aiden. Yeah, yeah. Someone like Booker, I feel like is a perfect, you know, perfect match at guard for him. Don't count Jimmy Fredette out of that mix either, by the way. <laughs> and then the Hawks fit, I would love for him. Like one of those two teams. Like if good things don't happen to the Knicks, the Suns, I can have easy access to watching, so I don't mind them being okay. <laughs> and then the Hawks, are, I'm going to turn this into the Hawks wall next year, possibly. <laughs> Look, I mean, not to jinx it or anything, you know, knock on wood a hundred times, but if there's anywhere Zion ends up that's not at the Garden, I want it to be Atlanta. If it could be Frank, Trey, and Zion down there in Atlanta. God, what a fun we'll, team. We'll don't forget about Collins either. Yes, Collins, Herter. They, yeah. they've, got a, they've got a squad down there. If they get Zion, they're a top four team in the East next year. Uh, I mean, it, I guess I, I'm going to like, that's going to depend on the, uh, you know, the off season and stuff. But yeah, no, they, they've got a ceiling. Like they, they could be, easily be there. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know whether or not Frank ends up coming back around the rest of the season. The Knicks only have, what are we at? Eight games left. Uh, they don't play yeah, until think... Thursday, so I guess we'll have to see what his, uh, you know, how badly they're, you know, if they're shutting him down or, or whatnot. But I mean, you look at this next schedule; it's kind of mixed. Like, there's definitely chances for the, you know, the the young guys to get some like kind of easier opportunity run in here. But you know, we're facing off against the Raptors, then uh, mm-hmm. the Heat for the rest of this week. They got Bulls, Magic, Rockets, Wizards, Bulls again, and Pistons to close out the season. Um, I don't know that it's that I would, I would like to see Trier get back. I would like to, you know, see, yeah. I would like to see Frank get back. I'd like to see Knox come back. Okay. Like I'm hoping that we can at least get four or five games at the end of the season here where, you know, we, we shut down these vets that are getting a lot of minutes right now, but I guess that's not really looking likely now, is it? I mean, that's so, what we were saying after the deadline. Yeah. It's, it's, yep. it's a rough stretch here. I'm just so, so bummed that we couldn't watch the, like, a lineup with Dennis Smith Jr. and Frank. That's just... I mean, yeah, we're not even talking about Dennis Smith yet. Like, do we think he comes back anytime soon, or is he done? He really threw his back out, apparently. At first, I thought he just had, like, a strain or a tweak, or it was, like, one of those sort of, you know, quote-unquote rest kind of nights. But then it was, like, the second night and the third night, and now it's been a... feels like two weeks, Right. He's been out a minute now, it feels like. Since, was the Kings game the last time he played, or did he play after? That's like the early March. He had to play after that. But yeah, he's been out a good chunk of time now. And it's just, we were fi- I, I thought we were finally going to get the, the Frank Dennis minutes. And uh, it's just, uh, that could have been fun. And I don't even, nobody even knows if Frank's going to suit up for the rest of the year now. So, yeah. The- Fisdale did make it like it was more precautionary than serious after the game, based on what I read. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would hope so. Um, I would hope that that's the case because he just missed 24 games with that. And uh, I remember, did you guys see that thing? Uh, LeBron's physical trainer or physical uh, therapist mm-hmm. uh, posted about the hit the groin injuries. And she's like, yeah, like these take like, months to heal like this is supposed to take like six months to heal and you know he got back on the court in six weeks and then it made me think like well frank was out 24 games that was what two months 
he missed, basically. Um, and I was like, that's, you know, maybe he needed more time. Maybe he needed another month to, like, really get back. But and that, that's my first thought was maybe it was more serious than we were led to, you know, believe. It wasn't just some BS little groin injury, and maybe he really did hurt it again. But if that's the case, I'm glad. Can I throw in some positivity here? Please, please, we need it. We need it. Much needed. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go tea leaves real quick for Whoa, us. Oh, quick tea leaves. We didn't expect this today, but here we are. No. So we saw that the Celtics lost 115 to 96 to the Spurs and got absolutely smoked. We Some did. Celtics reporter tweeted, "Kyrie headed to the locker room with about 20 seconds left on the clock." <laughs> he did that. Uh, he did that against uh, Charlotte too the other day. <laughs> That uh, that cross country flight really fixed everything for Boston. <laughs> oh. yeah, it's I've, been consider- I've been uh, reconsidering refollowing Bill Simmons just to uh, mm-hmm. just to bask in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a real shame that uh, Brad Einstein's out there coaching for his job again. Just oh, you hate to see it. He invented a game of basketball and he can't beat the Spurs at home. Can we end this segment with this right now? I just saw, and this is how we will transition into our, our tournament preview from here. We'll bring in uh, Mike Cortez for that. But uh, Mariano uh, on Twitter, uh, with that's uh, two N's and two O's at the end, tweeted out that Zion is half Blastoise, half man. And that is the most <laughs> accurate description of Zion Williams that I've ever seen. <laughs> that's, that's good. All right. Uh, Tyler Marco, you write for the next wall. We are uh, delighted that you do. Uh, delighted about your piece on you know, what we could potentially get for Frank. I guess delight is not re- really the word to use there because it's not a, not a rosy outlook, but we thank you for writing it. Um, <laughs> Thanks, guys. Plug your Twitter real quick because I couldn't find your handle. Yeah, it's uh, just my name, Tyler uh, Marco, M-A-R-K-O, not C-O. And, uh, yeah, follow me. We will talk to you again soon, man. All right. We're, uh, happy to be on. Can't wait to be back, guys. All right. Thanks take care. See you later. Thanks again to Tyler Marco for coming on. Now we bring on another uh, member of the Knicks Wall family uh, here again to update you on all things NCAA tournament, all things N- uh, NBA draft. We have Mike Cortez. What's going on, dude? What's going on, man? Uh, follow him at Cortez Era on Twitter. Mike, we're we're pretty uh, we're getting pretty deep into the tournament now. Yes. Um, <laughs> I guess we can start with the old cliche bracket question. Did you make a bracket this year? Yeah. Did your bracket hold up? How long did it hold up for? It's actually still in good shape. My final four is still intact. And I'm looking at it right now. I think I only missed on Michigan State. I said Louisville would uh, be Michigan State. That obviously didn't happen. So that's correct because I picked them to win it all. And that's exactly (laughs) what's going to happen. Uh, What's your final four looking like again? Uh, Duke, Tennessee, UNC, and who's who do I have in the West? Oh, and Michigan. 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of throw the reins to Brian here for a second. Uh, I, I kind of wanted you two, you and uh, you and Mike have been the two are the most keyed in on on the tournament right now. Uh, what? Give me what should be the bio the byline of this right now. What are the first impressions? I'm not really watching the tournament very closely. So what if I were to go tune into a game tomorrow? What should I know so far? Very top heavy. There's a clear distinction between the chalk teams you thought would be good and kind of the rest of the field. It's been a really chalky tournament. It's like usually we get surprises. Like he said, his bracket's good. I would bet 95 to like upwards of 85 to 90 percent of people's brackets are all good right now because it's all top seeds moving on. So even if you like picked an upset, like most people don't pick that upset to go all the way. So pretty much every like final four contender that you would have expected going into this is still alive. Yeah. It's what you want to aim for in the brackets is just to get those. Like you said, the upsets usually happen just in the first round. And so far, I think all the top players have performed. I haven't seen any real choke jobs. I mean, Fletcher McGee's not really a star to me, so I would exclude him, but like Culver, Zion, Ja, they were all good. Yeah, I had a ton of fun watching Ja. Um, he's just, I mean, he ran out of gas in uh, that game against Florida State, but he, that first half, he was just pulling up from wherever he wanted and just drilling shots. I think he made, what, like five of his first six threes or something stupid. Yeah. Um, and, and just watching him pass is a joy. He sort of, he kind of gives me the Trey Young vision vibes, you know, just the way he he's young and kind of bouncy. The, the way he moves around the court and then he's just flinging it wherever he wants it to go. And, um, he's, he's just a lot of fun. Um, I, if it came to it in the next pick, then I'd be, you know, very happy, obviously disappointed that we, as we all would be, if we don't get Zion, but, um, if we ended up with like the second or third pick and gotcha, I'd be pretty, pretty happy with that. Mike, yeah. with, with his kind of, you know, with his tournament down now and his, his college uh, career being over, it's, do you project him to be like pretty clear number two pick now at this point, or does he still have a lot of competition behind Zion for that spot? Uh, to me, I think he separated himself. If anything, Culver might be gaining steam. I think maybe I'm still higher on RJ, but I think Job hit everything that we were looking for. He took over against Marcus uh, Howard, which was supposed to be a duel. He dominated, mm-hmm. and then against FSU, he ran out of gas. But he's also I think he scored what twenty? He scored more than twenty points. Yep, and a lot of it was outside shooting, but there were some moments he went right at that seven four dude, like nothing. So he does, like Kyle said, he does have that Trey Young feel. I think it's Trey Young, De'Aaron Fox hybrid type stuff. I see with him. So that's inter- that's in, that's interesting. Yeah, it's he's has he's that, got some Fox in his game. Yeah, but he has like the passes, like Trey Young, like that full court pass he made. Against Marquette, that was like very Trey Youngish. Was that the over the head one? Yeah, he oh. <laughs> oh yeah, that one was so good. And then there's moments where he turns the corner. It's like holy shit, that's Fox. Yeah, he he went baseline a couple of times. I think one time uh, for for a dunk, he just it's like on a dime, you know. He he just cuts and he goes, and I, he's just a lot of fun to watch. I I really would. It'd be fine if the Knicks ended up with him. I'd, I'd get a great kick out of watching him in our uniform. Another yeah, guy's only fun. 19, too. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's crazy. I mean, there's just a lot of potentials flying around out there. Um, what are some of the other players that we should be keeping an eye out now? I'm, I'm looking at things from the NBA draft perspective, but I mean, just from a pure entertainment standpoint, who's been who's been probably the most exciting in this tournament so far? Uh, Texas Tech has been beating the shit out of people, so I want to see how they look like <laughs> Michigan. So that's going to be a great matchup. Um, Depends what kind of basketball. If you liked Knicks' 90s basketball, Texas Tech and Michigan is right there for you, buds. Hey, As any old Knicks' 90s fans, if you just want to watch two teams grind the game to a halt, that that is your game. I think it's going to be oddly entertaining. And Culver's got the whole old-school look. He has, like, the old-school basketball shorts. He's just, like, slow, but he gets his shot off. He's actually been a lot better to watch now that I've got to see him like day after day. So I'm warming up to him at like three or four. Yeah. The more I see him, the more I like him. Um, I guess my question, because I've seen him start to go up as high as like two is right. it was always just where we're starting to see him is like two or three. And we, I think you noted the lowest you've seen him is like seven. So I guess is there, is he sort of a hard upside guy to project? Like, is he more of like a safer pick versus like an RJ where, you know, you know, he's a little more volatile right now, but you know, you think he's going to project to be a more high impact star type of player. Like what, what do you see for his ceiling or are there any concerns on that end of it? Not, not uh, I think he's just really safe. I think like I've heard Chris Middleton a lot. I agree with it. Like where he's going to be a blue collar all-star, like, I'm not sure he's going to be like, if he's your best player, I don't know where you're going to like, you might be like middle of the playoffs in the East, but he's also, excuse me. He's also like a good second or third player. Yeah. Because, I mean, he's, he plays good off the ball. So him, him and Brandon Clark are the two guys that you're kind of like, all right, if you miss out on Zion, then I think Culver with Morant, and then you like not a Barrett and Clark is start, starting to get some noise in that too. You it, we talked about him a little last time though. Do you did or did that thirty point five block game? Did that reinforce anything or you learn no. anything new from that one? No, no, it just reinforced what we talked about last week where he's not Zion by any means. But if you envision the team with that type of power forward, I think Clark's a very solid option, especially if you're at five. We talk about all these. We were talking about, you know, Jared Culver so far. We're talking about the Texas Tech team, and we have obviously Zion Williamson up ahead. We haven't talked about so much, but like looking at him and looking at his teammates, who are probably, you know, definitely the most hyped team coming into this season, and you know his teammates now, you know, previously some of them looking at you know it's number two, number three in the NBA draft were being called for, but. You know, you have these other players like Maranta Culver who are emerging now. What do you what are you making of the rest of the Duke starting lineup now at this point? Do they are they still as highly valued as say before this tournament started? Uh Cam Cam's kind of just been like overall just underwhelming. Like today he was good, I think. And he still just had, I think, thirteen points maybe. He's just been very like off. He's even he has the shot attempts, he just doesn't produce enough. RJ gets unnecessary hate no matter what he does. Like, 
for some reason he's just the prospect everyone wants to nitpick. But personally, I still think amongst like NBA people, he's probably still two three range, and Cam probably fell to like five six, maybe even as low as seven, depending on who's picking. Cam terrifies me. He's so he looks like Kevin Knox. Like he's like he'll show up for a spurt and then he'll just completely disappear. Duke hot take. They're really not they're a crazy talented team, but they're really not that good. Like I, I think Michigan State is going to beat them if they play. Yeah. They remind me of if like an NBA version of them would probably be like the first year LeBron went to the Heat. It's just three stars and then a bunch of nothing. Because, yeah, I mean, we, Trey Jones was atrocious, man. He was. Shooting-wise, he was just atrocious. And, like, if it's not Zion or RJ or Cam, they're not really scoring. Yeah, who who's the other guard that is just – they have two guards who can't shoot. Um, I don't know was number, no, Yeah, that, that's who it was, 14. You know, basically they left him and they left Trey Jones open the entire time. Daring them to shoot, you know, as as Taco sat in the middle of the paint, you know, just he wasn't coming out. And um, these guys just aren't shooting. What guards on this team, how do you have two point guards who can't shoot from outside? I don't understand. Yeah, and it, they shot 33% from three for the year. Like, if they, everyone's talking about the end of that game today. If Duke, Duke hit like 10 of 25 from three, that was 40%. If, they're, they lose that game if they don't have an outlier three-point shooting game. Yeah, Zion had, what, three out of five? I think he finished, like, three for six. That's not going to happen again, or very unlikely. Yeah, he, he, was, he was shooting a little bit more. I think he was tired of dealing with Taco. <laughs> Taco, I was actually impressed. Besides his free throws, I was like, oh, this guy is not terrible. Yeah, he moves better than I expected him to. I thought he was going to be a little bit more clunky. I mean, he is, but I thought it was going to be, like, drastic and he actually got around pretty well especially defensively i was pretty impressed i feel like he could be Bob, like the next boban like just like a funny guy who happens to come in late in a couple games just like dunks and blocks everything he would be a good like change of pace guy great name too a fantastic you could do so much with that <laughs> so kyle you weren't here on the uh on the last one where we had uh joe on with mike but you uh, so we we never got your picks from you. Uh, what what are your, obviously you're not going to beat out on my final four of Duke, 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 and and Michigan. Uh, but please enlighten us on what your final four is looking like this year. So I always get murdered with these brackets. Um, I actually started out really hot this year. I think I got my first like, I think it was something stupid. I got like my first uh, ten out of twelve picks or something like that. I was just. Uh, but then the South region just, I, I got murdered in the South. Everything else still looks pretty good. But I, I had uh, I had Nova, which was wrong. And then I had Duke, Michigan, and UNC. And then I had uh, Duke and UNC in the championship. And uh, then I had Duke winning it. Because I believe in my son, Zion Williamson. And uh, I, I want him to do well and ride that momentum into winning a title with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving next summer or next year. Uh, and, you know, pull off the little magic Johnson championship in college championship in the NBA move. I, I want that for my, my child there. So, uh, 
that's it. I mean, normally I get smoked because I don't know enough about college basketball, but that's basically it. I, I've, I've watched basically Murray State uh, and Duke exclusively this year, and then uh, I try to get Culver when I can. So, well, all righty. So, what? What? Give me the takeaways here. What? What are we? What are we walking away with on this pod until the next time we talk to Mike here? Uh, we're going to have. You know, it's gonna the tournament's gonna look quite a bit different from here. So, what? Uh, give me your predictions for I guess the the rest of this week. Um, I don't see Duke's making the Final Four. I don't know why. Wow, that's a big take. I don't know. It's just the gut feeling. I have no. I think they'll get Pat. I don't know. I feel like Virginia Tech would be the team that would just like beat them for some stupid reason. But aside from that, I think the top teams like I think the top teams are gonna still eat. Any objections to that, Brian? You you're pretty much aligned with that. I think North. I still think North Carolina can be beat if they. So who did they get? Who are they getting in the Sweet Sixteen? Auburn. I don't. Do they have? No Auburn. No no no. I'm asking. Do they? Oh. Can they take advantage? Are they a team that can take advantage of May? defensively and really expose him um i don't really know them that well i just that the only time i saw them they had almost that collapse new mexico state and that was just ugly but um i think they're just solid i guess that's going to uh hold us over until the next time but thanks a lot to mike cortez for joining the pod today uh make sure you're following him keep up with him uh at cortez era uh, it takes over the TKW Twitter account on uh, you know on, on some Saturdays when we have some games going on too. So keep a lookout for that, and uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. I'm sure, Mike. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming. Take it on. easy, Mike. Thanks. And really quick before we get out of here today, I just want to remind everybody to head to thenextwall.com. Uh, again, you can you can check out Tyler Marco's piece on Frank. We have plenty of other. Uh, exciting articles up at the moment as well. Recaps from today's game against the Clippers. Uh, follow all of us on Twitter at Corbo Anthony, at Kyle Maggio, at Brian Gibberman. Uh, give us a subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe on wherever you're listening to this right now. Love the reviews. Love the comments. Keep them coming. Uh, we will talk to you all later on in the week. Peace, 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 peace.